everyone. Uh, I'm super excited that we're back with yet another episode of Getting It Right. It's the Ipsos brand strategy podcast, as you're used to. Um, it's in podcast, as you know, that we're exploring innovative brand topics and we uh, we have inspiring guests on all of our shows. Um, today, the topic is the impact of social e-commerce on brands in, in China. So listen, if you're interested in global marketing and branding strategy, especially in China, or want to learn from what's going on with social e-commerce in China, this is yet another episode you really don't want to miss. My name is Dawa Rademacher. I'm a global brand strategist at Ipsos from Amsterdam, the Netherlands. I'm here with my friend, my co-host and fellow global brand strategist, Chris Murphy. Hi, Chris. Hello, everyone. And we've got uh, our guest, uh, Janet Wong. She's executive director at Ipsos China from her hometown, Shanghai. Hi, Janet. Yeah, hello, everyone. So, Chris, before we get into and start talking to Janet, uh, uh, we'll be talking about social e-commerce today. Uh, well, me, you know, I'm, I'm I'm a boomer, so my online purchase is probably limited to uh, to Amazon, and in the Netherlands we've got Ball.com, and that's pretty much. I use it a lot though, but those are the only two sort of uh, e-commerce platforms that I use. Do you have any experiences uh, social e-commerce? I'm sure that you buy uh, through ads on TikTok, for example. I'm sure you're a big follower. So, what is your what's your background on social e-commerce? Yeah. All right. Well, technically, I'm an Xer, uh, but uh, I, w- I would have to say my, uh, my my online purchase diversification is not much better than yours. <laughs> yeah. When you ask the uh, specific TikTok example, I have, that makes me feel like an old man uh, standing on his front porch with a shotgun saying, "Get off my lawn, you kids!" So. <laughs> Hopefully that answers your question. That answers my question. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, yeah. So you got you got a boomer and an Xer who uh, don't have a great deal of e-com diversification here. So uh, as Dallas said, we're so happy to have Janet uh, as a guest on the show today. And we'll be chatting through some uh, really neat examples uh, with Janet of immersal, immersive uh, social e-commerce in China and the disruptive impact that it's had on brands and, and brand growth there. Um, so to, to start, uh, Janet, you doing okay today? Yeah. Very good. Well, uh, I wonder, uh, just staying with the, the the theme there, have you bought anything lately through, uh, through through social media? What was that process like for you? Oh, yeah, I bought a lot of things through social media. Yeah? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Last night, I just bought a, a skincare, yeah, on WeChat Mini program. Yeah, and I think last week, I just bought a case of Apple, fresh Apple. Yeah, from um, from um, one friends, yeah, on WeChat, yeah. And how I uh, how did I know this friend is I traveled to Yunnan province um, this summer, uh-huh. yeah. And uh, I just met the store. I I, I just uh, uh, go to the go to uh, shopping, yeah, and meet the uh, uh, store owner, yeah, of a grocery, yeah. yeah. We um, just uh, connect via WeChat, yeah, and then I can buy uh, oranges, uh, fruits, apples, and mushrooms, yeah, via WeChat. Yeah, WeChat. So, that is that's amazing. Yeah. So any fresh uh, food on season, fresh food, yeah, they can uh, deliver to Shanghai. Janet, just uh, any kind of examples of, uh, of other disruptive changes uh, you know, in China leveraging uh, 
immersive social uh, become? I think the disruptive change in China is, um, I think, uh, if we're talking about brands, yeah, point mm -hmm. of view, there's a brand called B Store. It's a snack brand. Yeah, mm -hmm. actually, this is one of the world's largest snack producer, uh, and uh, in China, it has more than two thousand stores offline stores and covering around 100 cities yeah in China yeah mm -hmm. as leading snack brand yeah the B store owns 12 categories and covering over 90 product lines and 1200 products and it leveraged Alibaba's supply and demand integration. It was able to reduce its lead time with 50%. It claims seven days from farm to shelf. This is the brand claim. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, B-Store also reduced innovation with one third to industry average and launches more than 300 new products per year. Wow. That is, that's quite, that's quite something. Uh, but, and, and that is leveraging you, you mentioned, uh, uh, Janet, the leveraging Alibaba supply and demand integration. Um, tell me a little bit more what that means. What do you mean with supply and demand integration with Alibaba? I think supplier, there are more than, I think, more than 200 um, suppliers and logistic partners. Yeah, so I think they need to deal with one million orders a day. So the B-Store actually integrate this together with Alibaba. And uh, for the demand part is the data integration. So for example, the data on uh, 70 million products and traffic integration, for example, almost 100 million followers and members. So they are really growing so fast and they are, uh, um, are able to be super fast um, because they're leveraging Alibaba's size and Alibaba's integration. The code uh, working closely together enables this brand to grow so quickly. That's super interesting. So yeah. so if you, and I like this example, Janet, if you were to, what, what can our listeners, our brand managers that are listening, listening to this podcast, what can they learn from this example? I think this is... Uh kind of digitalization of China. So the digitalization is not just in the marketing side, and it actually comes to the innovation side. So you can, uh, we can see that um, food products now is the consumer to brand, and in the past is brand to consumer. Yeah, brand innovate a product and then communicate uh, to consumers and distribute in the channels. Yeah. But now um, consumers, actually they raise the requirement and uh, we call it demand or needs and co-create product with the brand. And then what brand and the role of the brand actually are, uh, are switching to integrate all the resources and to shorten the lead time from from the lab or the farm to consumers. Another thing is what, what I saw from other industries. In the past, the products is designed for a need, mm -hmm. but uh, now needs are diversified. Yeah, different occasions, we have different needs, even, even on one people, on one person. But what we observed now is even under one occasion, yeah, we have more micro context. Yeah, for example, um, in the morning for breakfast, if you um, having breakfast with kids or having breakfast with a spouse, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, the needs are different. So product now is designed for micro context rather than a universal needs. And for for the marketing, I think uh, push and pull are still valid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But for the push in the past, maybe distribution. But now the push power is innovation, the speed of innovation and the number of new products you launched in a year. For the channel-wise, omni-channel, we talk about uh, for quite a long time, online, offline. Actually now it's ecosystem. How does it work? Is we use online to to build brand awareness and load those consumers to offline to experience the brand and then reload these consumers to consumer data platform in the brand site and to retarget them and to maximize their lifetime value. This is how brand is doing uh, now in China. And from this, what we also observed is for Chinese consumers, actually the consumer decision journey are shortened. They just skip the step of evaluation, aware and purchase and share. This is the whole decision journey now, especially in FMCG. Thank you, Janet. That is super interesting. So instead of uh, brand to consumer, consumer to brand, really designing products for micro context. Uh, You talked about the power of uh, push and pull, uh, omni-channel, shorter and simplified CDG, uh, consumer decision journey, but really it shows the importance and the power of innovation and uh, and really understanding and almost sort of one-to-one marketing. That's that's. Can you can we move? Um, can, you, can you share us another example? Uh, maybe that's uh, that you can talk about uh, from China. Yeah, I think that is L'Oreal. I think L'Oreal um, is quite advanced in uh, digitalization in China. So first, it combines Alibaba's online browsing, consumption, payment, and feedback data yeah, on beauty products, and with L'Oreal's target consumer and operation data, as well as information uh, derived from more than uh, 30,000 websites every day. Yeah, They have a full digitalized information system, comprehensive. Wow. The company generates insight about consumers to identify eight customer segments based on characteristics such as demographic, interest, social behaviors, and online shopping behaviors, and offline transactions. Actually, they, they generated these eight um, customer segments together with Timor. Okay. Yeah, yeah. and with that... Uh, segment they can do micro targeting and uh, uh, finally uh, we see that L'Oreal splits content into elements used for individualized marketing. They are quite advanced in micro targeting and uh, this actually helps companies better target consumers and is supported by uh, data accumulated in the Alibaba ecosystem. And L'Oreal deploys individualized marketing to micro segments of customers. This helped the company achieve a click-through rate that is 50% to 100% higher than the industry average and boosting sales through conversation rates that are about three times higher than before. 
Wow. That that is an impressive story. Um, Dow, just maybe shifting gears just just a bit. Um, you know, Janet, if, if we think about another big trend in China, uh, sales via live streaming. Um, for, do, do you mind just explaining a bit about that concept and uh, maybe give us another example um, in, in that realm? I think live stream actually uh, boomed during the COVID quarantine. And uh, now, actually, it shapes consumers' purchase behavior. For example, um, it established as an important purchase channel. Uh, meanwhile, it's also a very important trigger of unplanned purchase. Yeah, mm-hmm. and especially for something new. It's also an information channel, very important information channel for Chinese consumers now. And Janet, why would you say um, consumers in China are, are moving in such a big way to live streaming? I think the reason behind is far more than uh, just finding a best deal. First, uh, just uh, what I mentioned, they want to, to be informed is a very uh, big reason yeah, for Chinese consumers. To- Look, Janet, sorry to, sorry to interrupt. Uh, I would t- tell me again, Maybe a silly boomer question for me, but uh, you know, who is live? What is live streaming really? Like, who who live streams? Are is it brands? Is it stores? Is it, is it uh, influences? Give me just give me an example of what I what what should I think about when I hear the word live streaming? Actually, it is diversified. Yeah, the live streamer can be a KOL, key opinion leader. Yeah, and can be uh, the brand uh, hire uh, some one, just like the brand can use their BA to be the live streamer, and uh, also can be a KOC, yeah, key opinion consumer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's diversified, and product also diversified. You can sell, yeah, Weiya, as I remember, Weiya used to uh, sell a rocket live stream. And Weiya is one of the two biggest KOL on live stream, on live stream. By the way, what we should do, Chris, like if any of our listeners want to get a few examples or a few links to live streams to see what it works and what it looks like and what it feels like, um, send us an email to uh, getting it right, one word at ipsos.com, and we can share with you a few links to these live streams so you get a feel for uh, what it is. So, yeah. so sorry. Go ahead to the reasons why why consumers are so super interested in live streaming. Uh, when I interrupted you, Janet, so go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, I think the biggest, the first reason is live streaming is becoming a very important information channel for consumers. Yeah. And then um, I think to finding the best deal. Yeah, of course, it is one of the key reasons. And also, someone they to um, they want to get some distraction from or via watching live stream because after one day uh, one heavy day yeah they just want to escape from from mm-hmm. the world or something yeah they want to get some distraction via watching live stream because for relaxation and also um, someone feel that the live stream can bring some fresh experience to open their eyes and stimulated by new brands product new experience and someone they are attracted by the celebrities the favorite celebrities yeah, yeah, of course. And uh, someone, they just want to be in the loop of sure. what else is talking about. 
Yeah. yeah, basically, I think yeah, these are the main reasons that Chinese consumers are watching live streaming. Very good, uh, Janet. Earlier, you you gave a really vivid example about uh, you know L'Oreal and, and some really sophisticated micro targeting they were doing. Are are beauty brands using live streaming also? A lot, very much. I think the reason is. You can actually you can see the real people demonstrate the product to you, especially for makeup, and uh, uh, you can listen to the people to introduce the product details to you, but without the pressure from the BA that they normally experienced in the offline stores. I think that's very important trigger for consumers to right. watch streaming. Yeah, for beauty products. Super, super. You know, Chris, now that I have pretty much watched all the good shows on Netflix and uh, <laughs> all the other streaming videos, maybe I should start moving away and, and start experience the wondrous world of live streaming. Yeah, I, I think I've uh, I, I've done the same. Now I've pretty much uh, exhausted the uh, the inventory. <laughs> so, um, so so Janet, just summing up to today's conversation, uh, which has been fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing all the uh, all the great examples. And you know, what would you say? Um, you know, if if, uh, if if you were listening to this podcast, you know, what what are three lessons um, that uh, that that brand leaders can take away from 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 these examples? I think the, the live streaming is diversified in terms of the platform, live streamer and content. For platform, different platforms have different proposition, yeah, like the Taobao, Tianmao, they are EC uh, platforms. And the proposition may be um, just for the uh, best deal or the introduction. But there are also uh, entertainment platforms, content platforms, we call it, like the Douyin, and uh, uh, red platform, live streamer, and content is kind of a new um, marketing mix or a live streaming mix when you're developing your strategy on it. So the proposition of the platform and the characteristic of the live streamer and also the content should be cohesive and uh, differentiated with between um, platforms. Yeah. That that is super uh, super interesting, Janet, and and uh, and and I think we're we're nearing uh, the end, unfortunately, of this uh, of this podcast. Uh, I find it really inspiring, both inspiring, interesting, uh, but also a little scary to see that uh, um, uh, the disruption that the brands are going through in China and uh, what we're heading for. I think, Chris, right in the, in the rest of the world, uh, listening to these examples. This is really interesting. Jenna, thank you for this super inspiring conversation on the year that we've had on the impact on the, of social e-commerce and digitalization on, on brand growth uh, in, in China. And uh, I, I think, uh, Chris, you would agree that, you know, it's not just the use or better use of a platform. This is truly a disruption in terms of uh, business models, leveraging data, speeding up innovation, using different platforms, cohesive uh, content. This is a real, uh, 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 this is a really big moves in China that we should keep our eyes out for and learn from. Uh, and I think it's time for us as uh, brand managers to see how we can prepare ourselves and, uh, and how we can quickly capitalize on these changes. 
Absolutely, and, and thank you so much, Janet, for, for sharing these these stories with us. Um, I, I think our listeners uh, have learned a lot. I know I have. Thank you. So this concludes our new episode of our second series of Getting It Right, the Brand Strategy Podcast. Now, I really hope that these examples and cases that Janice have, ex, uh, have, ex, uh, have talked about today have inspired some of you to rethink maybe about your brand channel and growth strategy. Uh, but most of all, I hope you enjoyed it uh, in uh, listening to, uh, to Janet as much as uh, Chris and I did. Um, if you want to learn more about the topic, if you want to uh, talk to Janet, you want to uh, get some more detail on these cases or maybe some links to these uh, streaming uh, uh, examples that she discussed, please send us an email to gettingitright at ipsos.com. Uh, we've got more amazing speakers and insights for you this season, where we'll discuss every two weeks an innovative brand topic with inspiring guests on our show. Uh, I think you can hear that our my Labrador puppy is getting super excited to be a guest on our show. <laughs> so I apologize for, uh, for the bark. Thank you all for tuning in today, and I'm sure we will catch you in our next episode. Thank you and goodbye. Thanks, everyone.